Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights is proudly brought to you by Pretty Litter, the dust-free, advanced odor-controlling, health-monitoring cat litter that comes delivered to your door every month. Pretty Litter. It's Kitty Litter Point 2-0. I'll be back after our first story tonight to share a little more information about Pretty Litter, including a special offer they have for those of you listening in tonight. Until then, settle in, get cozy, and prepare to be unsettled. The show is about to begin. <laughs> it's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about sugar-coated psychos and malevolent mysteries. I'm Otis Jiry, host of Scary Stories Told in the Dark podcast, now in its fourth season, and available on iTunes and wherever podcasts can be found, filling in for my good friend Steve Taylor. Tonight I'll be your host as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your wildest imaginations. Joining us tonight to help bring our frightening fiction to life are voice talents Jason Hill and Jordan Lester. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our Theater of the Minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Our first tale tonight from author Pete Zeliznik is voiced by Jason Hill. In it, we hear from a man hoping to become immortal, but not in the traditional sense or via discovering the fountain of youth. No, his methods are far more scientific. Without further ado, I present to you the Candyman. The Candyman can, because he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. Willy Wonka. Every town has its ghost stories. Maybe it's the haunted house on the other side of the railroad tracks. With a spirit, 
that haunts the tunnel in the woods. But people love talking about things that go bump in the night, and the places that they lurk. My favorite, though, have always been stories based in truth. And I don't mean the true stories. Your friends tell you happened to a cousin of theirs, or the ones your drunk uncle tells you around the campfire. I'm talking about real stories. The ones you can verify through newspaper articles, police reports, and from people who were actually there. Maybe it's the academic in me, but I've always thought that those are the scariest. Those are the ones that become legend. Ever since I was a little boy, I knew that I wanted to be in one of those stories. Actually, it might be more accurate to say that I always wanted to be the story. After the things I've done tonight, people will be saying my name for years to come. Tonight, on Halloween night, I will become immortal. Before I get to the good parts, it might be useful to talk a little bit about myself. The real me, as they say. When this is all over and I am long dead, I know the real me will get lost in the story. The human I am will be replaced by a monster. A monster that people will remember. It's not all bad and not completely unexpected, but still... I'd like to be remembered at least somewhat accurately. Maybe this is why I'm doing this. I'm not sure, but I'll get to that later. I am a chemist by trade. It's not always an exciting job, but it paid me well enough to afford a comfortable life and interested me enough to avoid becoming a zombie. I like to make art, though I wouldn't call myself an artist. I do a little bit of everything, I guess. I paint do some sketches and drawings. A couple people told me I was pretty good, but I was never confident enough to make a real go at it. I have no wife or children, and I've never been married. I've had girlfriends from time to time, but things just didn't work out. It's not that big a deal. I can afford sex whenever I want it, and I don't have to worry about other people moving my things around. It wasn't bad to have a woman's touch around my house, but it always ends with them wanting to change things or throw my stuff away, and I don't like change. I like predictability. I like organization. I like science. I consider chemistry the purest of the sciences for a couple of reasons. It's a perfect marriage of mathematical abstraction and real-world practicality. It is, by its very nature... Proactive. Sure, there's an element of discovery and reverse engineering, but I've been more interested in how to make shit happen. If I mix a little bit of this and add a little of that, then we get this. Every time. If I want a different effect, I simply substitute this for that, alter the conditions a little bit and a pinch of whatever, and voila, we get this. This part is important, actually. Not everything I mentioned is, I guess, but this is my story, and I get to say whatever I want. Now let's go back to Halloween for a minute. Some of the reasons I love it so much are likely obvious at this point, but maybe some others are not. I like dressing up in costumes, and though I'm not a huge fan of being around large groups of people, I love seeing others in costume as well. People can get really creative when they're not at each other's throats. And some of the women are really hot. Some people complain about how lots of women don't dress up so much as a character, but rather a sexy... Whatever. Be it a cat, a nurse, a witch. Always a, a sexy that. Doesn't bother me. I think it's great. A bigger reason I like Halloween is the feel of it. I've always been a Northeasterner, so the crispness of fall and the changing of the leaves play a role in it. The air smells different. People start having campfire gatherings and telling scary stories, and I love the idea of that. One night out of the gear, the veil between our world and the ones beyond becomes so thin. Things can come and go. 
the mystery, the unknown, the anticipation. What's not to love? Trick-or-treating, while it used to be my favorite part of Halloween, is now only the most important part to me. You've probably guessed it by now, but that's the brush I use to make my life's masterpiece. The children who came to my house and took my treats will be the paint. Halloween will be my canvas. This all sounds new, as if it's something I'm just enacting now. In actuality, I've been planning for this day for a very, very long time. In a practical sense, I started three years ago when I lived in Newburyport, Massachusetts. I started small. At first, I simply injected a concentrated dose of magnesium hydroxide into Tootsie Rolls. For those out there who aren't chemists, this is the active ingredient in milk of magnesia. It is a laxative. And boy, oh boy, it's a powerful one. I've used it before for pranks and the like, but this was definitely on a larger scale. Oh, the mental image of an entire neighborhood full of kids and parents shitting themselves up and down and sideways. It still makes me laugh my ass off. All in all, it was a pretty safe start. Things like this basically present as a stomach bug, and it would be a very strange thing for a doctor to test for it. Eat some crackers. Drink some ginger ale. Just wait for the waterworks to stop. Last year, I went a lot further. I was nervous, but if I ever was going to make the big leap, I knew I'd have to push the envelope. I could just tell you the what here, but I really want to tell you the how. I'm especially proud of it, and I want it to be a part of my legend, even if it didn't go exactly to plan. The main ingredient, and the hardest to obtain, was codeine. I bought tablets from co-workers, underwent some unnecessary dental procedures, had an accidental fall or two, and before I knew it I had a respectable supply. Next, I needed some iodine and red phosphorus, both easily obtainable without drawing suspicion. I picked up some paint thinner from the local hardware shop, some gas from the gas station, and managed to steal some hydrochloric acid from work. I'll spare you the full equation, but if you've seen Breaking Bad, you have an idea of what the process was like. The end result was a very light, super-concentrated, and very foul-smelling powder. It was my take on a fringe designer drug I heard about on the internet one time, a semi-synthetic opioid called Crocodile. I knew that it was going to pack one hell of a punch, but how could I get people to eat it? After a lot of consideration, I settled on black licorice. The stuff is absolutely putrid, but the taste is overpowering, and somehow, people actually like it. Plus, the idea of a deadly black candy is just so fucking perfect I could die. I was confident that I could mask the smell long enough to get it to the subject's mouth. I just needed to get them to swallow. I added a trace of wax to the heated compound, added concentrated licorice extract, and cut the strips into small, bite-sized squares. YouTube helped me throw together a couple other contrasting flavors, lemon, lime, orange, cherry. I cut them into tiny squares, too, threw them into wrapped little packages, and called it a day. I hoped the sweet, citrusy flavors would offset the black ones enough to do the trick. It turns out I was mostly correct. The hardest part of that year was trying to find ways to distribute the candy to various locations to avoid any easily identifiable central source. I'm not going to make it easier on anyone who reads this and let you know how I did it, but I'll tell you this for nothing. It was a monumental pain in the ass. My skills are in science, not logistics, and that Halloween was an hours-long demonstration of the fact. However, I was able to fudge it enough to relax a little and enjoy the evening. I sat up all night listening to the news and passing out real 
Halloween candy to the kids in my neighborhood. I decided to dress up like a spooky chef, which I still think is hilarious, and I spent most of the night pacing around in nervous anticipation. News started trickling in around 10 p.m. and began to heat up throughout the night and peaked nicely the next afternoon. You can read about it in the Newberry Poor News front page 11 to 18. The article is called The Newburyport Nightmare. Crocodile-laced Halloween candy sends town into panic. Oh, it's a cool title, but... All in all, I consider it a total failure in every way but one. At least I wasn't caught. In the end, 13 people were sent to the hospital, varying in age from 6 to 17. In retrospect, the main problem was that I concentrated the powder too much and the effects of eating the candy were pretty much instant. The subject would ingest it, start power vomiting immediately, thereby releasing the odor and deterring further consumption, and the intoxicating effects happened right after that. One kid got into serious condition once as the caustic nature of the compound nearly destroyed her esophagus completely. But, sadly, she survived... Other than that, there were a couple of skin lesions, three cases of skin deterioration and scarring, a bunch of people getting super high unexpectedly, and a big cloud of disappointment. It caused some panic and alarm, but it was definitely not what I envisioned. Needless to say, it pissed me off. Although I wasn't caught, I was considered a person of interest for a time. However... Having no criminal record, no history of mental health problems, and rehearsing for just such a possibility all came in pretty handy. So, I never had to sweat too much. At this point, though, it was obvious that I had to leave town once the coast cleared. No legends are written about a man who made the kids and parents of Rupert A. Knock Middle School shit themselves or projectile vomit, but I couldn't achieve my dream here. I needed bigger... And now I had a taste for it. In a move that was just of throwing a dart at the eastern seaboard, I found myself in Baltimore, Maryland. Even though I am a scientist, I've always had a poet's weakness for symbols. Baltimore. Drugs. A city in decay. Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, I don't know. I thought it was cool. His stories were always my favorite, and that's where he wrote most of them. Maybe this is where I was meant to write mine, too. This brings me to today. My magnum opus. My life's work. My masterpiece. Once I'd settled on the primary ingredient, the rest of the plan just fell right into place, almost like it was destined to happen. This time... The active ingredient was methylene dioxypyrovalerone. It's a cool word to say, a bear to spell, but more importantly, just so happens to be the active ingredient in what's commonly known as bath salts. Due to the limitless beauty of the internet, I was able to stockpile the stuff bit by bit throughout the year. Then, I purchased a shit ton of bite sized pretzels melted down a mix of rich chocolate, dark fudge, a little bit of caramel, while saving some to drizzle on top, then put my artistic skills to use. The sweetness of the chocolate and the saltiness of the pretzels were more than enough to mask the bitter taste of the salts. I coated the pretzels in the chocolate mixture, drizzled them with caramel, and when they solidified, packaged them in adorable little Halloween wrappers. It's funny, but I've actually gotten kind of good at this candy-making thing. Rachel Ray would be proud. So here we are. It's now 1.30 a.m., October 31st, 2019. My pretzel bags have been dispersed from my common, nondescript suburban house on my nondescript suburban street in boring old suburban Baltimore. I had a good number of trick-or-treaters, I'd say 60 or 70 at least. And now, I just wait... Oh, I can hardly sit still. My heart is pounding and I can't catch my breath. There's no chance I get out of this alive. I know what I'm going to have to do. I just don't know how to do it. 
I guess I hoped writing this down would make me come up with something. I have some ideas, but I really can't fuck this up. I'm so scared. Oh, it's way too late for second guessing. I know the first thing people are going to ask when this all comes out is why. Why would anyone do such a thing? I can't say that I know for sure. Science teaches you a lot of things. One of the main things it teaches you is the absolute insignificance of the human being. When you're able to glimpse the larger design of math and the sciences, the hidden codes of the cosmos, the little ant trails we walk are shown for what they are. Shakespeare called them brief candles, and that we all strut and fret our hours about the stage, then are heard from no more. I don't want to be lost to history. I want to be remembered. If one is remembered, they never truly die. This is as close to a reason as I can muster right now. I honestly can't think. Think of it. Once this comes out, it will be the panic of a lifetime. Parents everywhere will fear for their children, and trick-or-treating will take on the spirit it was meant to have in the beginning. There's been far too much treat... It was high time for a trick. I am confident that I have done an admirable job in that regard. I have said about all there is to say on the subject. I hope that those who read this will tell my story over a family campfire, or as an excuse to test your kid's candy after a nice trick-or-treating haul. For now, I am going to tuck this letter away. Drink until I can't see straight and watch the local news. I do hope I make it long enough to see some action. So, in conclusion, I simply want to wish the reader a very scary Halloween, and to remind them to never, ever, take candy from a stranger, even one that you think you know. And so, goodbye. Postscript Excerpts from The Baltimore Sun Halloween Massacre in Tarrytown, 11-1-2019 The city of Baltimore was rocked to its core this Halloween as a rash of drug-infused candy was discovered in the quiet suburb of Tarrytown. The candy, which appeared to be homemade, was distributed to trick-or-treaters, then ingested by several in the neighborhood. The effects were catastrophic. At the time of this writing... Reports are that there are at least seven dead, fifteen wounded, and that the numbers are still climbing. Forensic analysis shows that the drug in question is what's commonly known in the street as bath salts. Once ingested, the subject experiences such effects as paranoia, delusions, extreme agitation, and psychosis. The effects are similar in both children and adults, and led to a series of deadly incidents throughout the night. 12-year-old Sally Walker stabbed her 8-year-old brother Ethan Walker in the head 12 times, killing him instantly before attacking his infant sister. After lacerating the baby across the mouth with a steak knife, she proceeded to bite the child's nose and lips, eating chunks of flesh from her face. When her father Robert heard the commotion, he attempted to intervene. Sally turned and stabbed him in the stomach before he was finally able to subdue the child. The father is in critical condition, and the child is in custody at the local psychiatric facility. Later in the article, Damon Medbury, a ninth grader at Newburyport High School, was trick-or-treating with his friends when he inexplicably started scratching at the skin on his face. According to a witness, his scratching became more frantic and forceful as the child emitted shrieks of anger. By the time police arrived at the scene, the child's face was covered in blood, and one of his eyes was pulled free from the socket, dangling from the optic nerve. The boy remains in critical condition at Anna Jacques Hospital, and doctors are not confident that he will ever see again. Still later, Megan Ruiz, a single mother of three, was having a Halloween party in her room when, inexplicably... She grabbed young Dylan Martin, four, into the kitchen, 
pushing him into the oven with a batch of sugar cookies. Though attempts were made to subdue her, by the time the boy was released he had third-degree burns on nearly every part of his body. He was later pronounced dead at the hospital. This rash of tragic events has been traced to homemade Halloween candy, Police Chief Maynard Avery says. He urges citizens of Baltimore to avoid any and all sweets gathered on Halloween night. While he reports that not all candy in the city is tainted, but that the risks are simply too large to take a chance. We have a couple of leads in the case, Avery said as he left the podium, and we will catch the perpetrator, if it's the last thing I do. Post-postscript, the black candy killer found, the Baltimore Sun, November 3rd, 2019. Police have reported that the perpetrator behind the Black Candy Massacre has been identified as Robert F. Bullock, a 43-year-old chemist from upstate New York. The subject was found dead by a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Inside, officers reported a scene only imaginable in a horror movie. It was terrible, said Sergeant Maynard Avery of the Baltimore PD. In 30 years of service, I've never seen anything like it. Police discovered an elaborate chemistry lab, a warehouse, full of dangerous ingredients and even something more disturbing. Investigators say that the perpetrator was wearing an elaborately crafted, scary chef costume, and a note was placed beneath Bullock's bleeding head. When the police moved the body, they saw that the bloody sign read, Bon Appetit. While we were investigating the scene, we heard a strange ticking from under the floor, he said. Avery went on to say, I remember reading some story like this once and we thought we'd check around. Reports indicate that an old tin heart-shaped box was found beneath the floorboards. We are told that among the items inside were a bunch of newspaper clippings and a sort of manifesto, seemingly written by Bullock himself. Apparently, this wasn't the first time he did something like this, Avery said. No information was given regarding the contents of the manifesto as officials stated they contained sensitive information regarding the incident, and possibly other incidents besides. When asked about what the citizens should expect in the next couple of days, Avery offered some advice. The best thing folks can do now, he says, is to look through your kids' candy before you let them eat it. I mean, really, look at it. Smell it. It might be the only chance they got. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed The Candyman, as written by Pete Zeliznik and performed by Jason Hill. Up next, we've got a second and final tale for you about a mysterious death and the search for answers. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more 
about tonight's sponsor, Pretty Litter. The director and creator of this show, my friend Craig Groshek, he's what they call a dog and cat person. Can't live without either of them, and always at the same time. Oh, and he's got three kids. So he's had rabbits, fishes, snails, even frogs in his house at one time, too. And if his wife's got anything to do with it, he'll soon have chickens. <laughs> okay. But seriously, like a lot of you in our audience did, Craig grew up with cats, and you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who loves them as much as he does. Regrettably, he lost two of his furry friends in the past five years, and says it was the hardest thing he's ever had to go through, especially with the passing of his main coon, Tober, this past year from kidney failure. Craig's got one cat at the moment, a dilute tortoise shell named Rhea, and he'll be the first to tell you that she's cute as all get-out, loves to snuggle, but she also likes to eat. And that means she also keeps her litter box nice and full, and needing to be cleaned frequently. Before Torber and Craig's other cat, an orange tabby named Charlie died, you can imagine how much of a chore cleaning up after them was, especially with conventional cat litter. Craig says it still beats letting his dogs out in sub-zero Wisconsin temperatures, though. <laughs> yeah, bet. No matter how you look at it, by far the worst part of it is being a cat owner and dealing with cat litter. Anyone with feline friends will admit to this. I know I do. I got a couple of cats myself. Comes with the territory. Litter is often messy, smelly, and heavy. And can I say it? When you think about it, conventional cat litter, which most cat owners still use today, is outright barbaric. And that's why Craig switched to Pretty Litter, and I'll tell you why. Pretty Litter is Kitty Litter 2.0. It's shipped right to his door in a small, lightweight bag that lasts him the entire month. That might not sound unusual if you don't have a cat, but those of you who do know exactly what I'm talking about. With one cat, let alone three like Craig had, you'll end up going through multiple bags of litter in a single month sometimes. With pretty litter, however, there's no more running to the pet store or storing heavy open bags of cat litter in your closet. And pretty litter has next-level order protection. What does that mean exactly? Well, it uses super-absorbent crystals that actually trap and conceal odor and moisture. No smell, no mess. Forget about that dirty clay or compost that's completely gross to clean up. But the best part about Pretty Litter? It monitors your cat's health. No, really. It actually changes colors to detect underlying illnesses before urgent medical care is needed, saving you money, stress, and potentially your cat's life. Craig says that this litter, had he had it sooner, might have actually saved his cat Tober's life and at least given him more advanced notice that something was wrong before his sudden illness, which would have made a world of difference in his family. Because of Tober's sudden and unexpected kidney failure, and because of Cat's penchant for hiding their illness from their owners, no one had any idea anything was wrong until it was too late. And that's par for the course for cats. They just don't want to bother you with their problems, and they prefer to hide. Getting some advanced warning of Tober's illness, Craig says, would have made the switch to Pretty Litter easy on its own, but with all the other benefits, it's still an obvious choice. The litter was invented by Pretty Litter CEO Daniel Rothman in 2015, who himself was a cat lover, and realized there simply weren't many tools to check in on his cat's health in the market, short of expensive vet visits. So, Rothman set out to create litter with added value, like the built-in health indicators, and that was also easy to clean up, super lightweight, and that lasted longer while smelling great. And he made good on all of that with Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter, in fact, only weighs 6 pounds per bag, compared to the average 20 pounds you find in stores, and even at that smaller size, lasts 3 to 4 weeks. This is because it's formulated from crystals, instead of heavy clay or wood-based materials, and urine evaporates on contact with it, so that all you need to do is scoop the poop. And it traps odor, too, so if your cat is as reclusive as Craig's tortoise shell, no one will even know you have one. 
And on top of everything else, Pretty Litter is a convenient subscription-based service and ensures you have enough litter every month without the need to run to the store and haul dozens of pounds of heavy clay and pellets back to your place. Do what Craig did and make the switch to Pretty Litter today by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code CFTDN for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code CTFDN for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code CTFDN. Be sure to use the code to let them know that we sent you. And remember, supporting our sponsors helps support this show. And your support means a lot to us. For the cat owners in our audience today, thank you so much for giving Pretty Litter a try. And for our dog owners, well, just be glad your pet doesn't poop in your house. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Now that we've shared the secret about a happy cat, allow me to give the horror lover in you something to smile about, too, with another chilling tale. In our second and final story tonight, written by Tim Van Kessel, as performed by Ms. Jordan Lester, the unfortunate end of a man's life leads others on a chase to discover the truth about how it all came about and how many are next. Without further ado, I present to you Too Long at the Cliff. For too long have I been standing here on top of this cliff. Days turn to nights and back. I have asked myself so many times what I've been doing here. I told myself I was thinking thinking about a lot of things. There have been so many things that have kept my mind occupied for such a long time. My hands are placed firmly on the cold metal railing. For some reason, I can't let go of the railing, though it's not that I want to. Down below me stretches an ocean, filling the entire horizon. The sound of the waves hitting the rocks should calm me down, but it doesn't. The light breeze that blows through my hair should cool me off during the day, but it doesn't. The same breeze should give me chills during the night, but it doesn't. I feel nothing. Nothing but worry and anger. I feel no need to go back home. I prefer the nights over the days, though it is always calm and quiet here, regardless of the time of day. During the time that I've been standing here, I've only spoken with one person. Well, I didn't actually speak with him. He spoke to me. A man approached me earlier this evening. He was walking his dog. It was a young man who needed someone to talk to. Or at least he needed someone to listen to his story. The man told me that he wanted to die. He felt that life had abandoned him and didn't see the purpose to live anymore. His name was John. John was a young man in his twenties who grew up with a loving family. He had a long-time girlfriend of the same age, and even though he had always loved them so much, lately he felt nothing anymore. He was on a moral crossroad. So many times had he contemplated taking his own life, but then he reminded himself of what he would leave behind if he carried out what he wanted to do so badly. I didn't say much to the man. I nodded at the right moment and looked in his eyes that were tearing while he was talking. His story would have been depressing to any person in a normal state of mind, but not to me. I turned my eyes away from him and looked down at the ocean again. He continued talking. I'm not listening anymore. I used to be a compassionate person before, always ready to help someone who needed it. Now, not so much. I don't have any idea why he thought I was the right person to talk to about his problems. He keeps talking. He keeps asking me if I'm listening to him, but I don't respond. Disappointed, he leaves. From the corner of my eye, I watch him turn around, taking his dog with him. I can hear the sound of his footsteps gradually getting further away from me, until the sound stops, 
It's silent for a moment, save for the sounds of the waves and the wind, until I hear footsteps return, footsteps moving at an increasing pace towards me, a dog barking. I close my eyes, sigh, and listen to the sound of John jumping over the railing of the cliff. It's late September now. The trees that are spread around each side of the cliff are letting go of their brown leaves. The wind catches the leaves and blows them into my direction. Some of them stick to my coat before another gust of wind takes them away into the ocean that still lies calmly in front of me. It's been a short while since I saw this guy, John. I'm still not sure what he was thinking. It is a strange feeling. Was he trying to make me feel guilty? He probably came here to end his life but wasn't expecting to see anyone. Perhaps I was the final hope that could help him get his life back on track, even if it was just by listening to his story. Maybe he felt he couldn't talk to anyone close and dear to him, and I was that one person that he thought he could confide in so he could be convinced not to do what he was planning to do in the first place. I look up to the sky and notice that grey clouds have formed above my head. The area is gradually getting darker and the wind stops blowing. I assume there will be rain soon. Maybe a storm. It hasn't rained in a while. If it's going to rain, I better find some shelter. Perhaps the trees on the side of the cliff will keep me dry, or at least keep me from becoming completely soaked. I turn around and slowly walk to one of the bigger trees situated at the start of the cliff. I sit down underneath the big arms and make myself comfortable. From here I can see the railing of the cliff. The clouds in the sky and the slowly lurking darkness in the area resemble the darkness I have in my head. I try to remind myself of the beauty of this place. I can hear small drops falling on the deck of leaves above my head. I listen to the sound and close my eyes. The relaxing music of the rain goes on uninterrupted for a few minutes until it mixes with the sound of an engine roaring, tires screeching, and a woman talking on the phone. I open my eyes and look at the source of the noise that suddenly arose in the otherwise calm and relaxing area. The raindrops reflect the red and blue flashing lights on top of the police car. A woman, shielding her head with a hat, exits the car and starts what looks like a search for something or someone. I don't get up. I merely sit there, watching what is happening. The police officer walks along the railing of the cliff. She doesn't seem to notice me. At least, not instantly. She's inspecting the railing, the ground, and the ocean below. The way she stands at the railing reminds me of myself not that long ago, when I saw the man. She turns around and notices me staring at her. The young woman approaches me. She looks pretty, for as far as I can see by the flashing lights of the car. What are you doing here? It's raining. Shouldn't you go home or something? I don't want to reply to her. I turn my gaze away from her and look back at the railing where she was standing before. Hey? I asked you a question. I look back at her and reply with a question of my own. Are you looking for John? The young woman, obviously surprised by my sudden question, hesitates to answer. Do you know him? She replies. No, I don't. All right, I would like you to come with me to the station. I have a few questions I would like you to answer. Once again, I turn my gaze away from her as a sign of unwillingness. Without looking at her, I reply. I told you I don't know this John. But if you're looking for him, he's down there somewhere in the ocean. He jumped down a little while ago. The woman moves away from me and thinks for a while. She then puts her hand on her belt and replies to me. I'm going to have to ask you again to come with me, either voluntarily or involuntarily. The choice is yours. I look at her face for a few seconds. Fine, I'll go with you. I don't know what you expect from me, but okay. Just step in the car, please. As I step into the back of the car, the woman uses the car's communication system to call for backup to inspect the cliff and its surroundings for the missing person called John. Something tells me that you know more about this missing person than you are telling me, she says as she sits down in front of me in the interrogation chamber. I don't look at her. I'm sitting in front of her with my hands folded. I don't want to reply to her. It was a bad idea to reply to her the way I did. If only I didn't say this guy's name. John. Fuck you, John. If it wasn't because of you, I wouldn't be here right now. What do you know about John, a man who went missing not too long ago? I told you already that I don't know this John you're talking about. 
Then tell me what you were doing at the place he wrote about in the last communication to his family. I sighed. I was just standing there, thinking about things, all right? Then all of a sudden he showed up out of nowhere with his dog and started talking to me. I didn't respond to him, all I did was look at him. Okay, and then what happened? He left. And? He ran towards the railing where I was standing and he jumped off. You saw him jump? No, I had my eyes closed. I could just hear his footsteps and the sound of something or someone going over the railing. And you didn't think it was something you should report to the police? I told you I didn't see anything, and I wasn't thinking straight. It's not any of my business anyway. She starts writing in her notebook, writing down everything that I'm saying. I can see her concentrate while she's flipping through her notes. She can't keep me here. There's nothing that links me to this John figure except my vague story. Can I go now? She looks up from her notes and looks into my eyes. Fill in this form with your contact details so I can contact you when I have more questions for you. Reluctantly, I take the piece of paper from her and start filling in my details. Name, phone number. I don't have my phone with me, so there's no way she can contact me. I hand the paper back to her after filling in all the required fields and get up from my seat. She gets up as well and walks to the door to open it for me. Without thanking her, I leave the interrogation room. She proceeds to escort me to the reception desk. Process this form for me, please. Put it in the John case file, she says to the file clerk. The file clerk looks at the form and back at Sandra, which is her name, I picked up from her notebook in the interrogation room. He frowns and puts the paper on his desk. You're free to go for now, she says when she turns toward me. But don't stray too far away from here, and stay away from that cliff. I don't reply to her and walk away. I've had enough interaction for one day. I just want to return to the one place where I can think quietly. The one place where I can focus on myself without getting bothered by other people's problems. I walk along the gloomy forest road. The road that lies in front of me is very familiar. It feels like ages since I first walked here. The sound rising from under my feet is that of cracking sticks and crunchy leaves. The last time I passed through this road was by car. Escorted in a police car for doing what? Nothing is what. Sitting under a tree shielding myself from the rain. Now I can finally walk and think clearly again. Or at least, I try to do so. The worry that clouded my own mind before the John incident has faded and has taken the form of thoughts about what is going to happen to me in the situation. But it's not something I want to think about. I walked this road before to clear my head. I want that feeling back. I remember why I went for a walk here in the first place. At first it was unclear to me. I thought I was going here to commit suicide. But that wasn't it. I had no reason whatsoever to kill myself. That place, the cliff, and the forest road heading up to it have been part of my life for a long time. They hold very good memories. During the time that I was standing at the cliff, I was attempting to let memories resurface. Memories of my good life. But I was waiting for something else the last time I was there. Waiting for a revelation or a certain clarity to drive away the worry and the emptiness. It hadn't been raining much the evening I got picked up by her. Not enough to make the sand and dust road soggy, but just enough to reinforce the smell of leaves and nature. It was an enjoyable smell. I let the wind blow through my hair and listened to the vague sound of birds singing in the distance. It's around midday now, and I walked straight from the police station back to this place. My eyes don't deceive me. There are multiple cars parked in front of the cliff. Yellow tape is wrapped around two trees, creating the idea of a blocked path. There are multiple men and women walking around the area. I approach the tape and try to see what's going on around the cliff area. I lift the tape and walk underneath. Most of the police officers are distracted with their private conversations. Except for one. Didn't I tell you not to go here anymore? Sandra approaches me and grabs me firmly by the arm. What the hell do you think you're doing? This is an official crime scene. You can't cross the tape. I just want to go to the place I feel comfortable, I tell her. And I told you that you should stay away from here. But in any case, I'm glad you came here. I've been trying to call you to ask you to come to the police station to answer a few more of my questions, but you haven't been picking up your phone. 
I'm not obliged to have my phone with me. Can't you just leave me alone? I don't want to have anything more to do with this situation. Well, that's a bit too late, I'm afraid. Get in the car. We're going back to the station. Damn it. Just leave me the fuck alone already. I'm getting so tired of it. I pull my arm out of her grip and walk away from her towards the railing of the cliff. Yet I don't get too far, because Sandra grabs both of my arms this time and drags me back towards one of the cars. Get in there and shut up, she says, before she slams the door shut and gets in the front seat. While we drive off down the road, she continues talking to me. I look at her eyes through the rearview mirror. She keeps her eyes focused front. Listen, let's talk reasonably. I don't know what's going on with you, but obviously you're not in a very good state of mind. However, things don't look too good for you. We just managed to fish our missing person John out of the water a couple of hours ago. Now there aren't any suspects so far except for you, who happen to know the deceased's name, his exact location of death, and on top of that, there's your appearance on the scene. Twice. What do you want me to say? I've already said everything I wanted to say to you. Do you want me to repeat it again? I don't know this John. He started talking to me, and then one minute after he disappeared from my view. Why do you want to pin this on me so badly? She fell silent. She didn't speak another word during the trip to the police station. The evidence box she put in front of me on the table was almost overflowing with items. Sandra stands next to the box, looking at me for a little while. She opens the box and starts taking out some items, looking for one specific item, so it seems. John was carrying a note on him, similar to the one we found at his house. He had it packed in an airtight plastic bag. It was addressed to his girlfriend. Let's read through it. Dear Linda, I shouldn't have done what I did. I blame the alcohol and the pills. Never have I felt so bad. I want to take back the things I said and did. But it's too late now. I want to see you again. I want to talk to you. John. So? Come on, we find this note, addressed from John to a certain Linda. And then we find you next to the place where he died. And which name did you write on the contact form? First name, Linda. Coincidence? What are you implying? That I threw him off the cliff because of something he supposedly did to me? I'm not implying anything. I simply want you to tell me the truth about John and how you two are connected. We aren't connected. He threw himself off the cliff. I keep telling you that. Very well. Next item. What I have here is a picture of him and of someone who looks very similar to you, which we also found in that plastic bag. Take a look. I take the picture that she's holding in front of me and look at it. The picture looks very familiar. It's one of the memories I tried to resurface during my days and nights at the cliff. One of the good memories that I was hoping would temporarily drive away the anger, the coldness, and the detachment. Something that would keep me patient. But as hard as I tried, I couldn't resurface it then. But now, looking at this picture, I remember the day well. It was the day I brought John to the cliff for the first time. I wanted to show it to him because the place was very valuable to me. What are you not telling me, Linda? I sigh. I've told you nothing but the truth so far. The John that jumped off the cliff was not the John I knew. The John I knew had his life in order. The one that jumped I didn't recognize anymore. He turned into an entirely different person, one that I don't know. I didn't do anything to him. She looks up from her notebook, and I see that she's about to ask another question. But I want to ask her a question of my own. She opens her mouth, and I quickly start talking before she can bring out a word. I would like to ask you a question, if I may. Be my guest, she replies with a frown. What I'm curious about is... How many bodies did you discover at the cliff? Sandra looks at me suppressing a surprised look caused by my question. We found one. Are you saying that there are more? What I'm saying is that I'm pretty sure that John is not the only one who found his end on the bottom of the cliff. She continues looking at me for a few seconds and hesitates to write in her notebook. She then gets out of her seat and walks out of the room. Before she closes the door, she says, You stay right there. I don't respond to what she says. I'm done here. Don't let her leave, she says to the guard on the other side of the door. Sandra walks out of the room with a pace faster than normal. She runs to several co-workers to tell them that they should immediately check the bottom of the cliff again for more bodies. 
While she's instructing the group, the file clerk at the registration's desk gets out of his work area. The man started only two weeks ago and wasn't very experienced. He looks a bit nervous as he tries to get Sandra's attention, who is only focused on rallying more troops to swipe the cliff for more bodies. He decides to wait until she finishes her short briefing before tapping her on the shoulder to get her attention. What is it? She says. The man hesitates to speak, because he realizes that now might not be the best time to come with something that would seem so insignificant compared to the briefing that Sandra just gave. He speaks up anyway. Yesterday, you came to me and asked me to file this contact form for you. Yes, what of it? Well, the thing is that, well, of course I'm new here, and you guys know things better than the new guys usually, but, um, come on, what is it? Yeah, all right. You gave me this empty form, and I don't really know what to do with it. It didn't make sense to me to put it in a high-profile missing persons case file, but I didn't want to throw it away either. I mean, you filled in your own details and all, but... Perplexed, she looks at the man. She grabs the form from his hand before he finishes his sentence and looks at it. Empty. She turns around without replying to the clerk and runs back to the interrogation room, where the guard is still guarding the door. She opens the door and looks around the room where the table and the evidence box are placed. But there's no girl to be found in the room. Where's the girl? What girl? The guard replies. She looks at the man with a confused look on her face. Sandra, you've been all alone in that room with your box of evidence. Are you feeling all right? No. I don't think I am. But I think I know whose body we're going to find at the bottom of that cliff. A man approached me earlier that evening. He was walking his dog. It was a young man who needed someone to talk to. Or at least he needed someone to listen to his story. The man told me that he wanted to die. He felt that life had abandoned him and didn't see the purpose to live anymore. His name was John. John was a young man in his twenties who grew up with a loving family. He had a longtime girlfriend of the same age, and even though he had always loved them so much, lately he felt nothing anymore. He was on a moral crossroad. So many times he had contemplated taking his own life, but then he reminded himself of what he would leave behind if he carried out what he wanted to do so badly. I didn't say much to the man. I nodded at the right moment and looked in his eyes that were tearing while he was talking. The story would have been depressing to any person in a normal state of mind. But not to me. I turned my eyes away from him and looked down at the ocean again. He continued talking. It wasn't my intention to kill you. It was just the alcohol, I think, and the pills. It was an accident. You know I always loved you, right? I don't know what came over me that night. I, I think I need someone to help me. Help me figure out my problems, please. I wasn't listening anymore. I used to be a compassionate person before. Always ready to help someone who needed it. Then, not so much. I didn't have any idea why he thought I was the right person to talk to about his problems. He kept talking. He kept asking me if I was listening to him, but I didn't respond. Please, Linda. Respond to me. I know you can hear me. What are those pills doing to me? But you can't be real. I saw you fall off the cliff. I pushed you off. Damn, what have I done? Please talk to me, Linda. 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 Disappointed, he left. From the corner of my eye, I watched him turn around, taking his dog with him. I could hear the sound of his footsteps gradually getting further away from me, until the sound stopped. It was silent for a moment, save for the sounds of the waves and the wind, until I heard footsteps return, footsteps moving at an increasing pace towards me, a dog barking. I closed my eyes, sighed, and listened to the sound of John jumping over the railing off the cliff. I knew he would eventually come back here. I had been waiting for him to show up and I was hoping that he could see me, just so I could be the final one he would see before taking his own life. I suppose that in the end, it wasn't such a bad idea to talk to Sandra either. At least there's a chance that my own body will be recovered, and I can have a proper burial. Oh, that cliff. For too long have I stood on top of that cliff.
The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. I hope you enjoyed Too Long at the Cliff, as written by Tim Van Kessel and performed by Jordan Lester. If you enjoyed what you heard tonight, we'd like to remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave us a five-star review and a kind word, and to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And, of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, chillingtalesfordarknights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. Finally, thanks again to tonight's sponsors, Pretty Litter, for their support of this show. Don't forget, you can make the switch to Pretty Litter today by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code CTFDN for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code CTFDN for 20% off. prettylitter.com Promo code CTFDN. Thanks again for giving our sponsors a try this month. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. It's been a pleasure, as always. I'm so glad you were able to join us tonight. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn about more of our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Otis Jack. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors, Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. If you're looking for some fresh tales while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, Otis Jiry's Horror Storytime, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Or search for my podcast, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, where I perform four brand new tales every episode. Got a scary tale of your own you'd like to perform? Retake submissions. Email us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tone considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. 
Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well. To get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing. Make a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>